This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder, the Halloween episode. According to Wikipedia, insanity, madness, lunacy, and craziness are behaviors caused by a certain abnormal mental or behavioral pattern. The actual term insanity is an informal, unscientific term denoting mental instability or poor health of the mind, not the brain as an organ, but rather the defective function of the mental process such as reasoning. To determine a diagnosis of mental illness in patients, they have a physical exam, lab testing, and a psychological exam. There are more than 200 classified forms of mental illness, the more common ones being depression, bipolar disorder, dementia, schizophrenia, and anxiety disorders. One in five adults and adolescents live with mental health disorders. Treatments vary from antidepressant medication to support groups and in some cases, hospital or residential programs. For those experiencing a mental health crisis more often than not, there's nowhere for them to go. This is how they end up in jail. There are three mentally ill people in jail to every one that's in a hospital. Modern psychiatric hospitals have replaced the asylums used to house these patients. These institutions specialize in treatment of severe cases. Older lunatic asylums, which were often brutal, overcrowded, and often focused on containment and restraint of the mentally ill, often exacerbated their behavior. With the exception of Japan, that is, who still uses physical restraints on their patients, tying them to their beds for days or even months. During the 1800s, anyone seemed unfit to live with, quote, normal people were admitted here. It could be a teenager who misbehaved, an unhappy wife, women suffering from postpartum depression, homosexuals, the blind, and those who didn't speak English. Along with those with serious mental illness and criminals, they all lived together. I suppose this is why this setting has become a favorite in horror movies and ghost hunts and why we chose to talk about it for our Halloween episode. These places are often haunted with spirits who cannot rest or move on. They were witness to horrible things, stories of rapes and beatings, murders and suicides, lobotomies and other medical procedures performed often against their will electroshock therapies, food deprivation, severe neglect, and torture was often the norm. There was no free will in here. There were no visitors. They were often buried in cemeteries on the asylum property with just a number for a marker, or their bodies were donated to science. Being committed to one of these places was a life sentence that very few ever got out of. But I'm going to tell you about one who did. Not only did she get out, but she wrote a book about her 10 days in a madhouse. Nellie Bly, born Elizabeth Jane Cochran, 
in May of 1864, would grow up to be an American journalist, an industrialist, an inventor, and a charity worker who wrote an expose from inside an insane asylum known as Blackwell's Island. Blackwell's Island provided cheap psychiatric help for immigrants, society's outcasts, and for those who were deemed destitute. What spurred this whole thing was a newspaper column titled, What Are Girls Good For? in the Pittsburgh Dispatch, reporting that girls are for birthing babies (gasps) and keeping house. This made Elizabeth light her hair on fire. What year was this? The 1864. No, that's when she was born. So it's the 1800s. Oh my, no. So Elizabeth wrote a response under the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl, and the editor read it and was impressed and found out who she was, then offered her a job writing for the newspaper under the same pseudonym. Hmm. She wrote many articles on women's equality in the workplace and that all women would not marry. In the 1800s? That is wild. She wrote about the effects of divorce on women and how they needed to reform divorce laws to be more favorable towards women. Hmm. Her pen name was eventually changed to Nellie Bly after a popular song at the time. An article she had written about women's factory workers caused too many complaints, and she was reassigned to write about recipes and fashion. No. So she leaves the Pittsburgh Dispatch in 1887 and moves to New York City. She looked for a job, but no one wanted to hire a woman reporter slash writer. She talked her way into the office of Joseph Pulitzer, Mm. you might have heard of that name, whose newspaper was the New York World. It was here that she took an undercover assignment where she would fake insanity to investigate reports of brutality and neglect coming out of Blackwell's Island, a woman's lunatic asylum. Oh, my. But the only way in was for (gasps) 23-year-old Nellie to be committed. Oh, hell no. Oh, my gosh. That night, she stayed up all night making faces in the mirror, trying to scare herself. She left her place the next morning, exhausted, and wandered down the street, eventually checking herself into a boarding house called Temporary Homes for Females. Hell no. It was trash. She acted very odd, like she didn't know who she was or what her name was. She responded with nonsense when asked a question, and she acted afraid of everyone, called everybody else crazy, and was basically giving the best performance ever so she could get reported as insane. Everybody stayed away from her. They were afraid of her, so it was working. The next day, she keeps it up and pretends that someone stole all of her luggage. She acts very irrational, irrational enough that she got kicked out, but she refused to leave, so they called the police. She made accusations against the other women in the boarding house, claiming they were all crazy. So she goes before the judge. She's still pretending. Oh, my Lord. He thinks she had to have been drugged and sends her to Bellevue Hospital. (gasps) Doctors are brought in and the press trying to figure out who she is because she's still saying, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm from. I don't know anything. Finally, they diagnose her as insane. It had worked. That's just, just her diagnosis, insane? In just three days. She was being committed. Oh, my gosh. She wrote in her book, quote, The doctor said I was positively demented. 
She needs to be put somewhere where she can be taken care of. <sighs> After this, I began to have smaller regard for doctors and a greater regard for myself. I feel certain now that no doctor can tell if someone is insane or not. Once she arrived to the island and asked where she was, the guard said, Blackwell's Island, a place you will never leave. <gasps> the only way on or off this island was by boat. So... She makes a friend while waiting to be processed. It was a woman who was severely depressed. She wasn't insane. Then she met a German woman who didn't speak any English, so she was admitted. Then it was her turn. She was examined by the doctors. And I should point out that once she was on the island, she began acting like her normal self. Okay. And... Where was this island off of? It's in New York, off of Manhattan, and it's still there. So by, okay. Yeah. That night at dinner, she talks about what she witnessed, being forced to stand in front of a freezing window, being fed bread and prunes, and the other women. Some were crying, and some were laughing. After dinner, they were stripped naked and thrown into ice baths. Buckets of ice water were dumped on their heads. She finally gets to her room and gets a wool blanket, but no clothes. She talks about how the windows were barred and the doors were locked to prevent escape. But what happened if there was a fire? No one would survive. There was no way for him to get out. The condition of this facility were horrendous. Moldy black bread, boiled water instead of soup to eat, soiled sheets, cold baths, Mm. Sent to bed wet, sometimes with no blanket. The bath water was very rarely changed, so the water was filthy. Oh. When the water was changed, the bathtubs were not cleaned, just more water was put in. Patients also shared towels. Oh, God. So healthy patients would get the towels that someone with a bloody, pussy boil or an open sore had just used. This is horrific. She was awoken at 5 a.m. the next day, given ill-fitted clothing, and given a breakfast of cold oatmeal. There she saw another doctor. After that, she and the other woman went about cleaning the facility while the nurses stood over them screaming orders. They were allowed outside for a brief period once a day, where she noticed a group of women all tied together and several in straitjackets. These were the suicidal women. She interviewed over 40 women and became convinced that most of the women were just as sane as she was. They were slowly losing their minds because of what they were having to endure. In her book, she wrote, What would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? Here is a class of women sent to be cured. The expert physicians who are condemning me for my actions which has proven their ability to take a perfectly sane, healthy woman, shut her up, and make her sit from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., not allow her to talk or move and give her nothing to read and let her know nothing of the world, giving her bad food and harsh treatment, and see how long it would take to make her insane. Two months would make her mentally and a physical wreck. One woman named Arena, she was 18, and she would get mad if anyone said otherwise. 
The nurses would tease her and tell her she was 35 and she would cry. And then they would taunt her until she was uncontrollable. They would pounce on her, slap her in the face, knock her in the head and choke her. They drug her in the closet and smothered her. These patients were being routinely abused, both physically and verbally. So those who weren't stressed out and acting out would be taunted and teased until they lost it and acted out, and then they were beaten. So a little backstory about most of the people who ended up in these asylums during this time. The majority of them were immigrants who came to the city for jobs Mm -hmm. and the American dream. They struggled. They ran out of money and became homeless, couldn't speak English. They ended up here. If you had no one to help you or provide for you on the outside, you were never getting out. Being homeless would be better than this. The more you claimed sanity, the more you were told you were insane. And it was overcrowded. It was built to hold 278 patients. And by 1870, there were nearly 1,700 women locked away here. Out of these, only about 30 were actually clinically insane or in any need of medical care. Oh my gosh. They were understaffed and they literally just wanted these people away from New York and they threw them on this island to be forgotten about. They would sit upright on a bench from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. in silence. They could not move or talk and if they did, they were beaten and their hair was pulled out by the roots. Electroshock therapy and lobotomies were not uncommon. The patients were considered lucky if they were just beaten instead of a lobotomy, which is where they basically turn you into a zombie. After they make an incision in the frontal lobe of the brain, severing it from the rest of the brain. She's seen many women who seemed normal to her be taken away only to return in a comatose-like state after they had lobotomies performed on them. The same thing actually was done to Rosemary Kennedy. Oh, JFK's oldest sister. Oh my gosh. During her birth, the doctor was running late, so the nurse reached up into her mother's birth canal and held the baby in place until the doctor arrived, which caused oxygen deprivation to her brain, resulting in a mental deficiency. She had seizures as a child and, quote, episodes. In the 1920s, mental illness was highly stigmatized, so she was pulled out of school and taught at home with a tutor and then sent off to boarding school. Her family tried to hide her disabilities, and when she was a teenager, her mother described her as very affectionate, warmly responsive, and a very loving girl trying her best and was very appreciative of compliments and was so hopeful of deserving them. That just makes me and tear why up. Why did she get no, why did they get a lobotomy for her? Just wait. Oh my God. So the family moves to England. Rosemary was put in a Catholic school and taught by nuns who were training her to be a teacher's aide and she was flourishing. Mm. The Kennedys moved back to the US in the middle of World War II and she was placed in a convent really? and she seemed to go backwards. She is now in her early 20s and is sneaking out, going to bars, and going home with men. Her dad was worried that this was going to create a bad reputation for the family and soil the Kennedy's name of the two oldest brothers who were heading for a career in politics. 
So he found two doctors who said they could help her. And without her permission, at the age of 23, Rosemary had a lobotomy. Oh my gosh. Because she was sneaking out and hanging out with boys. Two holes were drilled in her skull and a small metal spatula was inserted and used to sever the link between the prefrontal cortex and the rest of her brain. She was awake through the whole thing and talking with the doctors who had her recite poems and sing songs. They knew it was over when she stopped singing. They immediately knew that this had only made things worse. She could not speak or walk properly. She was put in an institution and no one visited her for nearly 20 years. Her father lied to the entire family and told them that she had met a man and moved off and become a teacher. I had no idea about this. That is, they, her own parents did not visit her her. father. I am, I'm leaving. He told everyone she met a man and moved off and became a teacher. I wish that had happened. It it wasn't until he suffered a stroke many, 20 plus years later, that he revealed what had actually happened to Rosemary. Did they send him to an asylum when he had a stroke? Because There's so much more to this story. You will Uh literally flip out. So y'all Google that. And, you know, I'm I'm a huge Kennedy aficionado. Bazillion books. I've read everything. So you'll have to Google that, that read so up on it. That is so messed up. It is heartbreaking. That is so sad. Anyways, back to Nellie. Yeah. So the worst she says she ever witnessed was a woman who thought she saw her husband coming up the sidewalk to get her. She got out of the lunch line and ran outside. It wasn't him, but she was locked away. <laughs> she was beaten so severely it caused internal injuries. Beaten? They tied her hands behind her back, put a sheet over her head, Twisting it, then shoved her in a bath of ice water, almost what is drowning up with all her. The ice water and cold water. They pulled her out and pulled her hair out by the roots so it never grew back. All of the stuff that I just told you about with her happened within 10 days. On the 10th day that she was there, she had enough. Did she have someone on the outside that, like, was going to come get her? Because I would have never done this in my Never. No. I wouldn't even do this now. No. Much less in the 1800s no. where if you, like, were on your period, you were put into a yeah. mental institution. Right. No shit. No shit. So after 10 days, she's had enough. Now she needs to get out. How does she get out? She was hopeful that her boss had a plan to get her out. And lucky for her, an attorney that worked for the newspaper came to the asylum and told them that she actually had some friends in the city that claimed her and that they would be taking care of her, that they didn't need to waste their resources on her or their money. So she was allowed to leave and she heads to the city. And they let her Uh leave. Mm -hmm. Wow. A few days later, she published her first story in the newspaper titled Behind Asylum Bars. The next week was Inside the Madhouse. Oh my gosh. She was an instant star became one of the most famous female reporters in America, and the newspaper was selling out. Wow. She released a book titled 10 Days in a Madhouse. She spoke about how the main physician that performed her examination was more focused on the nurse in the room than her. So, Yikes. There was a grand jury investigation into the conditions of this asylum, 
and into the doctors who actually committed a sane person. I mean, she was able to pretend pretty easily and fool a lot of medical yeah. professionals. So the jury report resulted in a $850,000 increase in the budget of the Department of Public Charities and Corrections. The grand jury also ensured that future examinations were more thorough, mm. such as the only seriously ill were committed to asylums. Mm-hmm. So basically, they told them you were doing the best you could with what you had, so we're going to give you some more money. It changed for a while, but just as quickly went back to the way it was before. In 1894, the state took control of the asylum and said they were shutting it down. In February of 1901, the last patients were transferred Mm. to other New York City asylums, and the asylum was closed for good. There were other buildings on this island, including a smallpox hospital and a workhouse for petty violators. And the building was left vacant, and most of it was destroyed by fire. In 1973, the island was renamed Roosevelt Island after the late president. In 2000, a private company bought it and turned it into a luxury apartment building. So for $2,500 a month, you can get a studio apartment where women were tortured for years. And according to the 2020 census, Roosevelt Island had a population of 11,722,000 people. Wow. Not including ghosts. <laughs> so, since we're already in New York, yeah, we're going to hop over to another insane asylum. This one's on Staten Island. Mm. This one was for children. Oh, no. And adults with mental and physical disabilities. This one also had an urban legend of a boogeyman that turned out to be true. Okay, a true boogeyman? Yes. You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. In 1965, Senator Robert Kennedy. Back to the Kennedys. Back to the Kennedys. It's all full circle. Paid an unannounced visit to Willowbrook. He found thousands of residents living, quote, in filth and dirt, their clothes in rags, in rooms less comfortable and cheerful than the cages in which we put animals in a zoo. Kennedy went on to describe the institution as a snake pit. The visit put conditions at Willowbrook into the national spotlight, and the state of New York responded by developing a five-year improvement plan. However, after making minor adjustments, conditions at the institution quickly reverted back to the inhumane conditions that had put it in the public eye to begin with. There were 6,200 residents in a place built to only hold 4,000. One caregiver to 50 residents. Wow. Budget cuts led to the loss of 600 staff members, leaving the ratio of one caregiver to 50. With numbers like this, it was impossible to keep everyone clean, fed, supervised, or even clothed. These are children. And adults. Wow. All together. Patients would rip off their clothes, run around nude, masturbate in public, or just roll around in filth and feces on the floor. The severe overcrowding fostered the dehumanization and neglect of residents and eventually led to a public health crisis as literally every resident admitted contracted hepatitis. 
1972, ABC News investigative reporter Geraldo Rivera again drew national attention to Willowbrook with a television expose that was watched by millions. <gasps> I've seen parts of this. Oh my gosh. Someone's horrific. It's I've seen awful. This. It, I had tears oh running my down God. my face. I, yes, I, I've seen clips Someone of who this. worked at the facility oh left a key outside mm-hmm. and told him where it was, and he took his oh, camera crew God. and this. walked right in and was videoing, and it is heartbreaking. The name of this was Willowbrook, The Last Disgrace, which was an expose on the institution's serious overcrowding, dehumanizing practices, dangerous conditions, and regular abuse of residents. Mm. The public again was outraged. However, this time, the outrage served to spur parent advocacy groups to take action in federal court. Finally. Although the parties ended up in court many times in disputes, it was not fully implemented until 1987 when the Willowbrook State School and Hospital officially closed. After it was shut down, residents were taken to other facilities that weren't much better. Those who did not go into the other facilities became homeless, living on the streets of New York City, or returned to Staten Island to Willowbrook Mm. and lived in the abandoned buildings where they grew up. This is where the other story begins. The urban legend of Cropsy that turned out to be true. Legend has it that Cropsy is the escaped mental patient that lurks in the tunnels beneath the old Willowbrook State School and comes out to hunt children at night. He's an axe-wielding lunatic, a killer with a hook for a hand. He's a boogeyman. Mm -hmm. He's been a campfire tale meant to keep kids out of abandoned buildings and the surrounding woods for years. But to the horror of the locals, Cropsy was a very real threat. Mm. While he wasn't an escaped mental patient and his name wasn't Cropsy, there really was a man once employed by the Willowbrook State School who set up camp in the woods and roamed the tunnels beneath the building after its closure in the 70s. And worst of all, children really did begin to disappear. Children with mental disabilities began vanishing in Staten Island literally without a trace. The long-running series of disappearances began with five-year-old Alice in 1972. Then he struck again, snatching seven-year-old Holly in 1981. Next was 11-year-old Tia Hassey in 1983. Then 22-year-old Hank in 84. The details of what became of these children and young adults remain unknown and none of their bodies were ever found. In the summer of 1987, 12-year-old Jennifer, who had Down syndrome, went for a walk and never came home. The community launched a massive search party. Friends and neighbors combed parks and wooded areas of Staten Island, and they ended up in the woods behind Willowbrook. It was as if the legend of Cropsy had come to life when a firefighter found Jennifer's small foot. And then the rest of her body, which had been buried in a shallow grave, right by a campsite that a man had set up who had already been arrested before for kidnapping 11 children 
and the attempted rape of a young girl. His name was Andre, and he was arrested and charged with Jennifer's murder. Just like Freddy Krueger, Andre was a custodian at the Willow Brook State School back in the 60s. Mm. He also aided in the physical therapies at the school, which makes me want to throw up thinking uh, of what he probably yeah. did. Yeah. His employment ended before the facility closed, but he came back and made the ruins his home while kidnapping and murdering local children. Prior to Jennifer's murder, Andre had been arrested in 1969 for attempted rape when he lured a nine-year-old girl in his car, drove her to a parking lot, and removed both of their clothing before a police officer (sighs) saw them and arrested him. He was sentenced to four years but only served 16 months. Wow. In 1983, he thought it would be a good idea to pick up 11 random children off of a street without their parents' consent. He worked for a school bus company (gasps) and loaded the children onto an empty bus and took them for five hours with no reason, took them out to eat, and then took them to the airport. Whatever he had planned, he backed out of, but was charged with unlawful imprisonment and served only 10 months. Oh, my gosh. Andre claimed he was innocent, that he, but he had innocent. a, yeah, but he had a record of committing crimes against children. Uh, yeah, I'd say. He was also formerly employed at the school who abused children. So there's no physical evidence connecting him to Jennifer's murder or any of the missing mm. children. The jury was unable to come to a decision on the murder charges because all the evidence was circumstantial. But in 1988, he was convicted of first-degree kidnapping and sentenced to 25 years and was eligible for parole in 2008. In 2004, he was again brought to trial for the kidnapping of Holly. There was no statute of limitations in New York for first-degree kidnapping, which made this charge possible. Jury convicted him of kidnapping in October of 2004, and he was sentenced to another consecutive 25 years. He'll become eligible for parole in 2037 when he's 93. All of the other victims that vanished or were murdered in Staten Island, with the exception of the first girl that Uh they found. Their cases remain unsolved, and their bodies were never found. To this day, wow. So, if you want to watch the Geraldo Rivera documentary on Willowbrook, it's called The Last Great Disgrace. And then there is And it's horrible. It's awful. Fair warning. I couldn't even watch it all. And then there's one called Cropsy on mm -hmm. Netflix or Amazon Prime. I've seen that, too. And then... um, American Horror Story Season 2 mm-hmm. Asylum, which is set in 1964, is kind of a cross between Willowbrook and Nellie Bly's yeah, story. that's Sarah Paulson's yeah. character, yeah. didn't she? Yeah, yeah, she was a reporter yep. in that. I didn't want to interrupt you, but yeah, I was like, wait, isn't that? It's been a long time since yeah, I watched that's it. that's what it's about. Anyways, uh, I mean, I know we so always bad. do like... like vampires and werewolves and shit on Halloween, but like... This shit's scary because it's real life. It's not that vampires aren't real because I believe that too. <laughs> but well, nothing is more horrific to me than than the, the, the truth. Just, oh my the god, history. than the truth. That's right. why I'm like I would not want to go back in time because if a woman, if a woman had epilepsy, they're like, 
If they had depression or anxiety. Anything. If their husband was pissed, he could make up laws about him and get him committed. And it was, I mean, men were institutionalized too, but it was predominantly women in right. the 1800s and early right. 1900s. That's just a fact. It's just a fact. But yeah, these are Ugh. terrible, terrible. There's also a, do you have that pulled up? That um, there's a show on Netflix, mm-hmm. or not Netflix, Hulu. What was the name of it? It's got um, Christina Ricci plays Nellie escaping, escaping the, the madhouse. Mad it is so good. It's got Judith Light from Who's the Boss? The mom from Who's the Boss? Okay. Not the grandma, Mona. Yeah. The mom. She plays like the head master, the head person of the insane asylum. It's really good. You should watch it. I like Judith Light. I do too. Um, and Christina Ricci. Oh, I'll, I'll have to check that out. It was recommended to me on Hulu, and I'm like, I know Ashley's covering this, so I'm just going to take a beat. But, oh, stuff like that. It's awful. Is it – it's the House on Haunted Hill or is it The Haunting? One where they're in an old asylum. House on Haunted Hill. That is one of the free – the one – I mean, there's an old, old, and then there's one that came out, I think, in the 90s. Maybe it's the early 2000s. That movie freaking scares me. There's something about that movie that really bothers me. Well, it's just uh, – just insane asylums in general, mm-hmm. um, smallpox hospitals, places like that. All those where you're just – you're Because you know that humans were neglected, uh, yeah. abused – tortured, raped, starved. They're like, let's just take your – we don't want you in the public. And then we're, we're going to hide and you. And then we're going to do whatever forgotten. we want. Yeah, it's whatever like we want to. You have, you have no rights. It's yeah. – there was also a – oh, crap. I didn't write it down. I'm going to have to figure it out and send it to you. Yeah. There was also a documentary made about an institution that was – you know, mixed men and women Mm -hmm. that put on a talent show that they forced them to perform in these talent shows. And then like pulled the documentary. It was made like in the sixties and they pulled it and wanted it all destroyed. And I can't think of it. And I watched like a little bits of clips of it that I could find Uh and it was awful. We'll find it and post it in the show notes. Oh my gosh. Just the, it's, it's a different type of scary. I know we talk about like axe murders and all no, that. It is. This is equally as horrifying. Yeah, no, it's these people. I can't. And by these people, I mean those that were institutionalized. Mm-hmm. I'm not making a derogatory statement, but those no, who were institutionalized, some were not mentally. But even the Ill. ones that were mentally ill it's, yeah, didn't deserve like, oh, to no. be no abused and. I'm telling you that that Geraldo Rivera expose, just the bits and pieces that I watched of it. And what type of person would work Traumatized there? me. Like the nurses that were like yelling and making – what type of person would want that job? It's That's a, very unsettling to me. Completely. Ugh. Completely. Where you can look at that and go home at the end of the day. When there are children who are – How can you work But naked in straight jackets just rocking back and that forth. Is- it's heartbreaking. Don't watch it. Or watch it if you dare, but wow. I'm warning you. It, it, yeah, I've seen you pieces won't forget of it. it. No, I've only seen bits of it and I have not forgotten it. No. As soon no. as you started talking about it, it's and it's so dark. 
Like literally dark. Like there's no, yeah, yeah. no lights. There's nothing. Or they're just piled into the bed. To, it's just. Mm. <sighs> well, we still have a long way to go with um, mental health and the way that we deal with it in the United States. Not to get political, but I mean, at least we're not where we uh, were we've here. Come, we've, we've come, come a long we've way. We've made some mm-hmm. small strides. Yeah, we need more funding, Definitely obviously. Need there more. needs to be a lot more funding to mental health facilities, but oh my gosh. Horrifying. No wonder these places are fucking haunted. I'm serious. Like, before I was always like, oh, it would be fun to go like on a ghost hunt to a insane asylum that's been shut down. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. I'm like, this is so disrespectful. This... You know, I mean, I even don't know. if it's not speaking from a skeptic's point of view, even if it's not haunted, it's disrespectful. Knowing that all that happened, mm-hmm. I always have this thing where I, I guess maybe it's similar to spirit. I don't know. You feel an energy, like, like yeah. if a bunch of people died somewhere or were beaten, and you know about it, you're just we're you walking feel around. Good. No. I don't feel good no. about that. I no, don't know. I don't it's just like it's like ugh, it's, it's not my jam. It's dark. It's just. Maybe it's in my head. It's just no, an energy where way. you're like, I don't, wanna. I don't want that on me. No. Yeah. No. But I have a story about another asylum in the Northeast. So today I'm going to tell you about the asylum that inspired H.P. Lovecraft's work and inspired Batman's Arkham Asylum. I'm not a big Batman person, so I didn't really know about that, but I'm sure plenty of people are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was also built in the same place where the Salem Witch Trials judge John Hoth- John Hathorne. Hathorne lived. Yes. I'm going to tell you about the Danvers State Hospital in Danvers, Massachusetts. It's about 21 miles north of Boston, and it was one of the most notorious asylums during its time. A couple of nicknames were the Witch's Castle on the Hill. Ew. And Hell House on the Hill. Oh, shit. Not great. Not great. First, I'm going to give you a little history. It was built in 1874 and opened four years later. It was a multi-acre, self-contained psychiatric hospital designed and built according to the Kirkbride plan. So this was a common design for the time. In a lot of the pictures we see of the past psychiatric hospitals is this design. It had a bat wing style floor layout, kind of meaning it had a central area and then wings sprawled out from the center. Like nursing homes nowadays. Very similar. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So the Danvers State Hospital had separate wings for male and female patients, and the outermost wards were reserved for the most hostile patients. The original plan was designed to house around 500 patients, but by the late 1930s and 1940s, over 2,000 patients were being housed and overcrowding was severe. Like my story. Exactly. Crazy. Major, they were just cramped in there. So people are, were even in the basements because of the lack of space. Mm-mm. And I get it where you're like, they didn't turn people away, but at the same time, the living conditions were terrible. Administrators begged the state for more money to build more rooms and to hire more staff, but we know how that goes. They had no such luck. When it first opened, Dr. Charles Page, the superintendent, declared that mechanical restraint was unnecessary and harmful in cases of mental illness in terms of like 
you know, yeah. physical restraints, straight jackets, yada, yada. But as the decades passed, reports were made that various inhumane tactics were being used, and that sparked a big controversy. Patients would be walking through the hallways completely naked, and they had to live in their own filth because they weren't being taken care of properly. And no one seemed to be getting better. In fact, everyone's symptoms were getting worse. Shock therapy and straitjackets became the norm, especially when patients acted out or, quote, misbehaved. They were probably just asking if they could take a shower. Right. And they're like, don't talk back yeah. to me. You're going to, you know. So shock therapy has a history of controversy and stigma, but it is still actually used today. ECT, or electroconvulsive therapy, is considered to be a safe and effective treatment for severe depression by most psychiatrists today. So, today. It's hard to think of it as positive, I know, especially for those of us who remember one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm -hmm. But actually, in today's world, it can be very helpful, especially for people who have treatment-resistant depression. I'm not speaking for the 1800s and earlier 1900s, though, because back then, muscle relaxants weren't used and neither was anesthesia. Oh, my God. Modern medicine has come a long way. I mean, we'll pro they'll probably be saying this in 50 years from now. But back in the day, ECT was used as a treatment. And I'm using air quotes because it was used as a treatment for homosexuality. Because oh. back in the day, they thought it was a curable illness. Yeah. Shocker. This did not turn anyone straight. But, of course, it added to the stigma around shock therapy because it was being used as, I mean, I'll also add that today, ECT requires consent. It's mm -hmm. not given to anyone without consent. And it's typically given to people with treatment-resistant depression, meaning they've tried meds, meds aren't working. It's, it's not always a last resort, but it often is, but it's voluntary. People right. do this and they are given... Medicaid, they're not just awakening shock. Yeah. In the earlier 1900s, guess what? They didn't think about asking for permission. So Carrie Fisher voluntarily got ECT treatments and talked about it some in her memoir. There is a side effect of short-term memory loss, though. The memories do usually return, but that's like today, if you were to get shock therapy treatment, that's your big con. You have short-term mm -hmm. memory loss. Mm -hmm. Well, back in the 1930s at Danvers, the staff was using this as a way of control. It wasn't about them getting better. It was about threatening them. Right. And if they couldn't control their patients this way, they started lobotomies. Ugh. The first lobotomy in the U.S. was in 1936 by neurologist Walter Freeman. He wanted lobotomies to have an assembly line approach so they could be performed quickly and easily. His technique allowed him to perform 20 or more in a day. So he would use the shock treatments first so that they, the patients would be unconscious. And then he would insert an ice pick beneath one of their eyelids until the point of it rested on the thin bony structure in the orbit. He would then give the pick a few taps with his hammer so that he could break through the bone. This is I know. Horrific. I hate it. I hate anything through the eye. So this would allow him to sever portions of the frontal lobes using a sweeping motion with the ice pick. Then they would take it out and repeat the process in the other orbit. Immediately following the surgery, the patients would be confused and incontinent. 
Seizures were another common complication. Well, yeah, their fucking brain's just been stabbed with an ice pick. Mm-hmm. Some patients died as a result, and some were left severely brain damaged, and some later died by suicide. A very a few, a very few amount of people managed to return to work, but most of these people had emotional and intellectual deficits after their lobotomies. Some patients completely lost the ability to function independently, and Walter Freeman actually referred to it as surgically induced childhood. As though it was a good thing, which is sickening. Mm -mm. So Danvers State Hospital was often called the birthplace of the prefrontal lobotomy due to its widespread use. In the early 1940s, visitors to the hospital reported that the patients were wandering aimlessly through the halls. Most of them just had a blank stare on their face and they were just looking out, like looking at nothing in particular. The lack of funding continued and the hospital conditions worsened. Things got so bad that patients would be dead in their rooms for days before they were discovered. Oh. Yeah. Like the staff wouldn't even My know. God. So how often are you checking on your patients you if they've been them? Exactly. Giving them medications? There's, there were no tabs kept on any of these people. So finally, the state intervened and shut down portions of the hospital in 1969, which is so late considering it was open in the 1800s. And more portions were closed in 1985, then it was completely shut down in 1992, and then the remaining patients were transferred to nearby facilities. At one point in the 1980s, reports began to filter out of the hospital about missing teenage patients. One account states that upwards of 115 patients disappeared within just three months. What? Yeah, but the hospital never publicly acknowledged it. And it's still to this day a mystery as to what happened to them. So it was just based on records of the patients they had versus the ones that left. They're just missing. Who knows? Not like 10, 115. Mm -hmm. Yep. Upwards of, yeah. Oh, my God. In 2005, the property was sold to Avalon Bay Communities and was destined to become a residential apartment development. What's like up mine. with all these places? I don't want to live in an apartment no. where it used to be a mental institution. No, thank you. So they did demolish most of the buildings, which left any spirits behind homeless. And Con even more mad. Oh, my God. Basically, they bought the property, you know. So construction faced delays in 2007 when a mysterious fire broke out and burned several trailers on site and a lot of the new construction. Mm -hmm. So some claim it was angry Mysterious. spirits. Yeah. My ass. On June 27th, 2014, Avalon Bay Community sold the property for $108.5 million to the DSF Group, which released plans for the property to undergo further renovations for apartments. Mm -hmm. So there are still two nearby cemeteries on the property containing 770 bodies. And like you mentioned in your intro, some headstones only have numbers <sighs> as opposed to names. That just shows so heartbreaking. how little they regarded mm -hmm. these people. Once it was closed to the public, many paranormal investigators have tried to sneak into the property, but got arrested before entering. Over 120 ghost hunters have tried and failed to explore the site. Only one team has ever been able to succeed, the Rhode Island Paranormal Research Group. 
but they have not released any evidence of the night and have never spoken out about it. That's suspect. Yeah, so because of this, there are not a lot of ghost stories. Basically, we have one group, and they've not said anything since. There's just one eyewitness to surface over the years, and her name is Geraldine Levesure. She said that she saw a ghost when she lived there as a child. It pulled the sheets off her bed and was an older, scowling woman. She said she didn't feel threatened and only saw it once. It is said that you may not see a ghost, but you can feel the patient's pain from years ago. Some paranormal experts believe the building could manifest your inner fears, doubts, and agony. Did you ever see the 2001 horror movie Session 9? No. Well, anyway, this hospital was a setting for that movie. And I I thought it was a good movie back in the day. It might not hold up. I don't know. Ooh, I see it. It was on site. It was a, I thought it was a good movie. Well, I wonder how they were able to. Gerard Butler was in it? Interesting. I wonder how they were able to film that there, but not, but nobody else can. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they got permissions and stuff. Well, this is before the apartment companies had it. And episode six of the podcast Lore called Echoes is dedicated to Danvers and is worth a listen. I'll link all these articles up, but I got most of my info from Scientific American, Psych Central, Only in Your State, and Ghosts and Monsters. Mm. Spooky stuff. That's Mm. really um, messed up. It really is. That really makes you wonder what the hell's going on out there that they won't let Mm -hmm. anybody on, you know? I know, because almost all these – and especially – The security is good enough to where 120 investigators have tried to sneak onto the property and failed. What is this? It's like they have snipers. Yeah, that doesn't make... It kind of seems extreme to me. Yeah, it seems a bit much. Because I feel like it'd be very easy to sneak onto a property. But anyway, Anyway. I hope y'all enjoyed those spooky asylum stories. Yeah, they're definitely creepy. They are creepy. Different type of creepy than we're used to, but definitely it's still very, very disturbing. True life is scarier than these make-believe scary movies that we watch. Yeah, everyone everyone, go watch Session 9 and Season 2 of American Horror Story and you'll be scared. Okay. And documentaries that I mentioned at your own risk. At your own risk. Now, the one, on, the one about Nelly on Hulu wasn't bad. That's not bad. It was good. But those other two, woof. Mm. So, we have some new patrons. Yay! And this is really exciting. Okay. We have Faye D. from Australia. Shut up! Yes, she's our first Aussie patron. Hello! I won't even try to do any accent. She's probably like, God damn it, do not try to do not say anything. So, Faye, on Patreon, I covered for July Shark Week episode an Australian case. I I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've caught up to that one yet, but let us know if you've heard of it or not. I'm going to have to add a pin way down here. This map does not have other countries, but I need to add those on yes, now. So I'm excited those. about it. And we also have Carolyn M. from Pennsylvania. Is she our first? She. We have a couple of pins up there, I, but it's not can the you, same city. I was going to say, can you see? Because <laughs> it's getting dark up it's here. It's getting dark up here. Thank you, Carolyn. Yeah, thank you. And we have Francis P. from New Jersey. 
Might be our first. I can't tell. Yay. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Francis, Carolyn, Faye. Y'all are amazing. And we got some cocktails this week, which is really exciting. So Kelsey got us a cocktail. She said she's a Canadian living in the United States of murder. More power to you because that mm. – listen, I hope you still have your um, citizenship up there just in case things get dicey. <laughs> yeah, we may – we have to come up there. We might need – you might be our phone a friend. And Jennifer from Kansas got us a couple of cocktails. She said, you two make my commute much more enjoyable. Enjoy your drinks. And Lacey made us. I made what what I call them, zombie smashes. It was basically smashed up raspberries that looked like guts with lychee and a raspberry eye, which was which They were was strong. Fun. They were really strong. I'm like, Lord. So that was that concluded our spooky cocktails. Aww. That makes it, me sad. Uh well those I mean, to be fair, it's spooky all year. I'm about to have to turn on the light. Yeah, it's getting dark up here. So this comes out on Halloween on the 31st. And just to let all y'all know, my birthday is this Sunday on the 6th, November 6th. <laughs> just She's FYI. just like FYI. So cheers to all my other November Scorpio brethren. And if you missed it on our social media, I binged The Patient on Hulu and enjoyed it. It's about a serial killer who kidnaps his therapist in hopes of changing his ways. It's a what? drama. Yeah, Steve Carell's the therapist. He does a great job. The episodes are really short. They're like 30 minutes, but it kind of works. It's an easy show to breeze through. It's it's interesting, though. But anything you're watching this week? I'm trying, and I keep having to stop mm. it and restart it. It is called, damn it. Is it a movie or a show? It's a movie, but like I said, I keep having to stop it and... It's on Hulu. It's, uh, shit. It's got shit in it. It's got shit in it. It has, what's her name from American Horror Story in it? Um, Emma Roberts. Hmm. And it's her and her husband, and they move. Sounds so familiar They buy a house, and they move to the woods. I love that. And it is called Abandoned. Abandoned. Oh. Netflix, you said? It's on Netflix. No, Hulu. Hulu. It's on Netflix. It's called Abandon. I started watching it, but I had to stop it because Max came in the room and I didn't know where it was going to go. And then I started at the other. I just, I. You never know for sure. Yeah. But I feel like I'm not impressed so far. Mm. I know. I know. I I hate when that happens. Well, it's one of those that I'm like clearly. Clearly, if I was super into it, I would be like, Mm -hmm. I would make it a point to watch it. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's it's a slow burn, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully there's something at the end so of it. So maybe next episode I'll be like, oh my God, that was the best movie well, ever, but don't hold your breath. Stay tuned. And we still need to figure out behind the scenes what state we're going to be at next. Connecticut. Oh, you already know. I just, All right. Yeah. A haunting in Connecticut. Just kidding. No. Connecticut. Do you have your case? No, I just found out. Just I- the same <laughs> as everybody else. <laughs> I have my case. Okay. it's It was news to me. It was news to me just news now. Surprise. You heard it live, folks. No. No. Okay. All right. Well, stay tuned to our Wacky Wednesday coming up this week, too. And uh, have a very good Halloween. Have a happy Halloween and, and Lacey's birthday. Lacey's birthday. And we <laughs> will send... We'll put, we'll put pics of our costumes yeah. oh, for sure. on all for the sure, things. For sure, for sure, for and sure. we still want to see yours, goddammit. Yeah. Send us your Halloween pics. We want to see. Tag us on Instagram. We'll reshare them. All the fun stuff. 
Absolutely. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Bye. Bye.